Live from Studio 8, we welcome you to the Sideline Podcast. Today is Monday, October 5th, and we've got a packed show. My name is Justin Berger, and I am joined by Doug Watley and Alec Kieser. Boys, we're back in the studio, and we're starting with the division-leading Philadelphia Eagles. Kieser, let's start with you in that Eagles offense. They won. <laughs> and like you said, division leading uh, Philadelphia Eagles. I don't think anybody saw that coming going into the weekend. Um, but they did just enough to win. Carson Wentz was under pressure all night. Um, I don't know exactly how many times he got sacked, but it just seemed like every time he, he said hike and caught the ball, there was four dudes in his face. He was running for his life. The touchdown throw he made to Travis Fulgram, the uh, 42-yarder, was beautiful. Uh, if you watch the replay of the, the throw, and Fulgram didn't even know the ball was in the air until he almost he caught it, basically. Um, Wentz was making plays with his legs all night. Uh, it's hard. Like, like I said, he's getting he's running for his life as soon as he touches the ball. So anytime anybody's under that kind of pressure, it's hard to really have a good night. But I thought he played well enough, and they obviously got the win. He was sacked only three times, but it looked like a lot more than that. He was pressured all night long. He was moving, and that's one of the benefits of having a quarterback like Carson Wentz. And when he's playing his best, he can make those plays where. Even if there's pressure, he can either make a run for it and make some positive yardage or get off a clean throw to a wide receiver. He did a lot of that. Overall, the Eagles did not really play that well. If you look at the team stats, they really were not leading in most of them. They were 4 for 13 for third downs. Um, They did convert 2 for 2 from fourth down, which were, were actually very important. But overall, they just found a way to win on the road. And like you said, Justin, they are division leaders that won't really last long. And I don't, I don't know. The NFC East is a joke. But they got the win that when they really needed to in prime time. Yeah, and, and like you said, the Eagles offense didn't really play well. But you look at their rushing yards, and they ran the ball 30 times for 93 yards. So it's not terrible. I mean, three yards of carry isn't great. But um, I just you watch that game, and you couldn't believe that either team could get – or not either team, I want to say, but Philly could get anything going. Um, it just kind of goes to show you uh, how good San Fran's – offensive weapons are and what Jimmy G will be able to do for that team. So my takeaway before I move to San Francisco, my takeaway with the Eagles is it didn't look pretty, but they won the fourth quarter and they played better down the stretch, which is important because that uh, that division in the NFC East is going to be a crapshoot pretty much considering the teams that are in it right now. Pretty much The teams that look like they have a pulse, and we'll get to the Cowboys later, but it, it looks like the football team and the Eagles right now the quarter way through the season. Moving on to well, that 49. Go, I, I think it's, I, I don't know if it says more about how bad Nick Mullins played or how good this Philly defense is because, I mean, they did let up 183 yards to George Kittle, who looked perfectly fine last night. Um, but like you said, yeah, they won the fourth quarter. The defense showed up when it mattered. Um, but, I mean, if you're San Francisco, you have to, like, I mean, you obviously not having Jimmy G, terrible, but you have to feel really, really good about the rest of your team. Well, we're separated what feels like bulletproof glass, but you completely read my mind. Nick Mullins, there was talk in the sports world, at least, at least the talking heads, that Mullins, the offense in the 49ers may look better with Nick Mullins at quarterback, but there was no doubt last night that Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback of the future for the rest of that season, even though C.J. Beathard looked pretty good in that in those two drives that he led in the fourth quarter. So I know they have a lot of weapons out, but Doug, this 49ers team moving forward, hopefully getting some weapons back, including their franchise quarterback. What do you see them doing in the in the last three quarters of the season in that NFC West that's been so good already? Yeah, they're going to have to get healthy quickly because that NFC West, even though the Cardinals dropped one, they're still very, very talented, all four teams. Realistically, four of those teams could make the playoffs if, if it comes down to it. But for the 49ers, they have to stay healthy or they have to get healthy then stay healthy. Um, 
they got to figure out these turnovers. They had three turnovers compared to the Eagles zero. So just overall, they got to figure out a way to just to get some wins because losing to home to a team that really looked bad through three weeks. And remember, last week the Eagles tied the Bengals in a very ugly game. This should have been a win for the 49ers. They just got to get back on track. And, you know, knowing Kyle Shanahan, I think they do that next week. We're going to move on to uh, the other team in that NFC East that I said has no hope, the Dallas Cowboys and the Cleveland Browns. What a stinker this one was for three quarters for the Dallas Cowboys. Ended up being probably the most exciting game of the day. Browns win 11-point uh, victory, but Keys, this Cowboys team, well, I can't, I, I, we can't start with the Cowboys because they lost. Let's start with the Browns. They win by 11. They're 3-1. and one. They, go to, they go to the Big D and win. Baker Mayfield looks alive. He remembered that he has maybe one of the best uh, wide receivers in football in OBJ, and they finally targeted him. So this, go ahead. This NFC or this AFC North with the Steelers being three and zero, it's it's competitive. But and the Ravens, of course. But this Browns team maybe they're for real. Maybe this is the year. Well, I, I see. I have no clue if Cleveland's good or Dallas just sucks because. I mean, Dallas. Dallas's defense is terrible, like legitimately terrible. I think they've given up thirty plus points in the last three or four weeks. I mean, now given they've played Seattle, um, your Atlanta Falcons, and, and now this Cleveland Browns team, who's scored thirty points in their last uh, three contests for the first time, and I don't even remember how long. Um, but not that Baker played particularly well. He was nineteen of thirty, one hundred and sixty-five yards. Um, yeah, like you said, he remembered he had Odell Beckham Jr., who finally had a good game in what feels like the first time in two years. Kind of funny that he did it against the Cowboys. Um, but the first play was a trick play um, with a beautiful throw from Jarvis, and the second uh, touchdown was kind of like a punt return. He should have been stopped in the backfield and just took it for like to the house. It was honestly unbelievable. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if the Browns are here to stay, but they really looked like it through three quarters. I mean, the the trick plays to Odell were very fun. Jarvis has got a cannon. We've seen that before. We saw it again at AT&T Stadium yesterday. The big thing for Cleveland is they're in a tough division right now because although the Bengals aren't that good, I still think the Steelers are up there and obviously the Ravens. The other thing, you got to check the health for Nick Chubb. It looks like he's out for a couple of weeks at least with an MCL injury. That's a big, big uh, difference without him. And obviously you have Kareem Hunt who can definitely do some stuff with that. But if they don't have Nick Chubb, this offense is not nearly going to go as far as they could. Completely agree. Chubb is a difference maker on that offense. And I was just going to say, you look at this schedule for for Cleveland in the first couple weeks, they get smoked in Baltimore week one, losing by 32 to the Ravens. And then their other two wins besides this Cowboys win were against the Bengals and the football team. So I, I don't know. It's early, obviously, but can you can you register this Browns team as a legitimate three and one? Uh yes. I think any like and we we make fun of the Bears fans for doing this, but I think anytime you win three games in the National Football League, you win three games. But I, I think the Chubb injury will be telling. Uh, Cleveland ran the ball forty times for three hundred and seven yards against the Cowboys. Uh, and Dearness Johnson, who I don't think anybody heard of before this game, outpaced uh, Cream Hunt and carries. So that's an interesting backfield to um, to look at moving forward, especially in fantasy. As a Nick Chubb fantasy owner in multiple leagues, to watch them run for three hundred yards and have him snap his knee in the first quarter was terrible. But uh, I mean, yeah, if Cleveland's going to run the ball like this, and I don't know, again, if, if this is just how bad Dallas's defense is or if this Cleveland offense can, can legitimately move the ball like this, but if they're going to run the ball for seven yards a clip, they're going to be very, very hard to beat. You don't apologize for wins in the NFL, especially playing a team that has the caliber and the potential that the Cowboys do away from your home stadium. So if you're the Browns, you take your 3-1 and record, you keep on building on it, 
You don't apologize for any of it. So we talk about these this Cowboys team, again, fumbling a headline for them. They lost two balls yesterday, one by Zeke, one by Dak. But this 1-3 team could easily be 0-4 if not for a miraculous comeback against none other than your Atlanta Falcons. Yep. But what are we doing here? We've got Dak Prescott, who is one of the best quarterbacks in football. I don't think there's any doubt about that. we got Zeke Elliott, who is without a doubt one of the best backs in football. And then you've got guys like Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb on this offense who should be able to carry. 38 points should not lose a game in the NFL. 38 points should not lose a game. They have no defense. I don't know what's going on in Big D. It's not the offense, I'll tell you that. I mean, and, and again, they, they were getting slaughtered in this game and put up 24 points in the in the fourth quarter. For some reason, their offense decides to go dormant in the second and third. Um, but, I mean, Dak threw for, I think, over 500 yards before he you did. account for sacks. Um, Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb were just running all over this Cleveland secondary. They just they couldn't stop anybody. And if you're going to so yeah, scoring 38 points is great, but when the other team's scoring 50, <laughs> like, we, like obviously math works out. You're not winning that game. Take a look or take a guess at how many rushing yards Cleveland had this game. Both of you. Well, I know the answer. I'm staring at it too. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> the answer is over 300. I believe it was 307 rushing yards. You're not going to win any games if the opposing team can do that because, one, they can control the time possession, and that's what happened for most of this game. Dallas kind of got it back towards the fourth quarter, but. If you can't stop the run, you're not going to win games in the National Football League. And Dallas, obviously I understand Cleveland has a very good running back core, but Dallas has to figure out a way to stop the run, and they haven't done that through four weeks. Speaking of stopping the run, the Indianapolis Colts did just that (laughs) yesterday. Sneakily, I'll start real quick. Sneakily, the Indianapolis Colts may have one of the best defenses in the National Football League, winning against your Chicago Bears 19-11 yesterday, and it should have been uglier than that. Um, this Colts defense was the story yesterday because of how dominant they were, Doug. Yeah, you mentioned it. They stopped the run, and that's what really hurt the Bears because they said, the, the Colts said, all right, Nick Foles, we're putting you on the clock. We're, we're going to see if you can throw against our cornerbacks because we're, we're going to stop the run, and David Montgomery is not going to get anything. And that's what happened, and Nick Foles didn't respond well. Overall, it was I don't know. Obviously, the Bears have a lot of question marks on offense still. Like, obviously, they were three and zero. There was a questionable three and zero, but there there's still some work to be done with this team. It starts with Nick Foles. He's got to play better. I expect a little bit of a better performance to come Thursday against the Bucks. But for me, this wasn't as much about the negativity for the Bears, but it was just the Colts' defense coming to play. We saw that last week against your Jets keys, but. Once again, against a team, a, an offense that's really not above average, they come to play and they make another great game. Yeah, well, I don't want to scare you, Doug, and I, and I don't want to pick, keep picking up the habit of talking about the losing team first, but Nick Foles' QBR, and I don't know how much weight you want to put into QBR, was 42.5. Um, there's an old quote in football, and I don't want to misquote who, who said it, but it's if you have two quarterbacks, you actually have no quarterbacks. And so yeah. I want to ask you, are you worried? Yes and no. <laughs> that's a cheap answer, but... I, I am worried in the long run, but we we got to f- have someone, and I think Nick Foles is better than Trubisky. And also, I do want to mention that his QBR would have been worse if not for that last drive where he just found Allen Robinson for like five straight catches. Yes, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, let's talk about this Colts because they were the ones that looked impressive. Uh, I think at the end of the season, we'll go back and think that that Jaguars game was probably a bit of a fluke week one, that loss. Yeah. They're 3-1 and one now, and they haven't allowed more than 11 points in their three wins. Not against the most impressive offenses in the league, but still, 
uh, allowing less than 11 points in the National Football League is impressive in itself. So I'm intrigued about Phillip Rivers leading this team. Their defense is really the storyline, as we said. But next week, that newfound success in the Cleveland Browns offense is going up against the Colts. So I'm excited to see that. And I like this Colts team a lot. Yeah, if you look at the stats, they don't really jump out at you. They only had 103 rushing yards. Phillip Rivers only threw for 186, so those don't really pop. But the rushing yard specifically, it felt like a lot more if you watched the game because every time they needed four yards, they got six. And every time they needed two, they got five. So they did what they needed to do. They didn't break out, but they were able to keep the ball and keep it moving. So yeah, I'll tell you, this Colts team is a little bit scary. Yeah, if Phillip Rivers can take care of the football and he didn't have any turnovers this past week, then this defense is going to give them every opportunity they want to to compete in every game. Like you said, they haven't been playing the most prolific offenses, but um, to hold any NFL team to under 11 points a game or just that, um, it's going to be that's very hard to do, and it's just telling how good this Indianapolis Colts defense is. All right, this Bills team has moved to four and zero after an impressive win against not I'll call it kind of impressive against the Las Vegas Raiders in Las Vegas. Quick question for both of you. Short answer. Should Josh Allen be on people's MVP watch list? Not their list, their watch list. Absolutely. Why? I mean, I think now he's accounted for 12 total touchdowns. Um, that might be selling him a little short. He's, I mean, he's electrified this this Buffalo Bills offense. And I, I mentioned last week how much Stephon Diggs has helped in getting in another huge game, 6 for 115. But giving a guy with that arm um, – another target to open up the field. Devin Singletary has been really good in the backfield. Um, but you now this, this Buffalo Bills team will go as far as Josh Allen takes them. And right now he's playing at an, an MVP type level. I'm not going to call him the MVP um, because of the, some of the, the way some of these guys in the league are playing right now. And I know we'll get there. Um, but yeah, he's absolutely playing himself into that conversation. Yeah. You said that great. There is a lot of MVP, MVP candidates right now, but he's definitely one of them. You know, I was, I was a little bit skeptical in weeks one and week two, two because they played the Jets and the Dolphins but now you played the Rams in week three and then travels to Vegas all the way from Buffalo it's a long trip and take out the Raiders this guy's no joke and this team's no joke and and we've been saying it but the Patriots have a tough division this year and I really think that this Bills team with their combination of coaching defense and Josh Allen's connection to many wide receivers and tight ends for that matter can definitely challenge the Patriots uh, come January and February. Completely agree there. Let's move to uh, the Detroit Lions. Uh, they just find new ways to lose every week. Up 14 nothing quick yesterday. And then the Saints score f- uh, 35 unanswered. Drew Brees uh, didn't look bad, let's say that. The offense was humming, and we know that Saints offense can still hum even if Drew Brees is just throwing it five yards downfield. Noodle arm of the week winner last week, people forget. (laughs) But more importantly, I want to focus on this Lions team because you bring in a guy like Matt Patricia, who's supposed to be a defensive guru, and this defense, aside from uh, the Jets, is the worst defense in pro football. Uh, What are we doing here, Keezer? All right. So when uh, and I don't want to like hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously. But when if you go back to before Patricia was hired by the Lions, he was the defensive coordinator for the Patriots. And who does everybody credit the Patriots' defense to into being good is Belichick. Um, and then the next guy who that you really kind of heard talked about in that same light was Brian Flores, who was um, sideline coach of the year in twenty nineteen. Absolutely. Um, but I don't remember Matt Patricia 
any of Matt Patricia's defenses being like anything groundbreaking or like it always just seemed like when they were good it was Belichick and when they were bad they blamed Patricia. Um, he like kind of got the Lions' job out of nowhere and has really hasn't been very good at all. It's it's head scratching and in, in a long line of head scratching decisions by Detroit. Um, but yeah, they went up fourteen points and just absolutely crumbled. Yeah, without Michael Thomas once again, the Saints did not have many threats. Kamara did have a, another good game, but if you're a defensive head coach like you guys have been saying, and you want to keep your job because he's definitely on the hot seat right now, you got to come ready to play at home against a beatable team in the Saints right now. And to be fair, they did start up 14-0, and so they had that quick start, but their defense just kind of gave in. They scored some points at the end to make it close. But if you watch this game, it really was not close since halftime. Yeah, and, and to kind of talk about the Saints, and we we joke about Drew Brees' arm, and we, we gave him the noodle arm of the week last week, but uh, even though he was pushing the ball a little farther down the field this week, it's not like he was really driving the ball in there. Um, a lot of his throws looked like they lacked the, like I'm going to call it oomph, or, like, or the zip that um, we're seeing a lot of these younger guys throw the ball with, and so uh, it was good to see him push the ball down the field this week, but I don't know if I would feel, con- like again, it's kind of like um, how I feel with Cleveland. Like I'm not sure if is Breeze going to be able to do this against a top defense, or is this more so how bad Detroit is? Another guy who's in the twilight of his career, Tom Brady. The Buccaneers, I guess I'll say leg one out against the Los Angeles Chargers yesterday. The Tom Brady had a stat line that he looked like when he was younger. Had three for 370 yards, had five touchdowns, threw a pick. But the real story was that the Chargers allowed this Bucks team to come all the way back into this game, being outscored 24-7 to in the second half. Justin Herbert is sharp. He's a rookie. This is, his, I think, his third start. So we give him a little bit of a pass this season. I like what I'm seeing there. But the real story is this Bucks team and their struggles in the first half. Yeah, I mean, uh, classic classic throwback Brady game I mean when was the last time we saw him throw for 369 yards and five tuds um so the old man was getting it done but yeah I don't I think this is more so um Tampa's ability to put up points and just kind of like Brady's ability to make plays more so than the Chargers um I think if you're a Chargers fan you're super like really encouraged by the way Herbert played um I think this was the most fun game of the day on Sunday just to watch these two guys go back and forth um but yeah, um, Tampa ends up like you said, legging one out. But I, I, I wouldn't. If you're a Chargers fan, you can't walk away from this game feeling anything. But I'm really excited for the future. The Chargers really did not come into this game expecting a win. Obviously, they wanted it. They would have done everything for it. But the way they played is definitely encouraging. Herbert only missed five pass attempts. Uh, it was twenty for twenty-five, three touchdowns, and the rushing attack was nothing. So for him to do that, when Really, the only focus was on the passing attack against the Buccaneers. was impressive. But like you guys have been saying, Brady, this is just a Brady game, right? He had five touchdowns to five different receivers. Godwin didn't play, so he had to go to different places and just made it work. They they made the comeback towards the end. And once again, Tom Brady, 3-1 and one, and looking better moving forward. Yep. Uh, quickly, the Bengals, just want to mention this, the, the Bengals and Joe Burrow get their first win of the season against the probably abysmal Jaguars, but nonetheless, the number one pick picks up his first win of his career, so mazel tov to him. Let's move on to Monday night. We got a doubleheader tonight. As Ernie Banks said, let's play two. Yep. The Atlanta Falcons, your Atlanta Falcons, are playing in Lambeau 
a decimated Packers squad, uh, Lazard and Devontae Adams not playing tonight. So Aaron Rodgers will once again be throwing to people who you have never heard of before. (laughs) If I'm a betting man, I absolutely take the points, the over in this game, because there's going to be a lot of offense and not a lot of defense. Keys, what are we thinking about tonight's matchup? Um, like you said, I think the only thing we can be really confident about is the over, even though Aaron Rodgers has literally nobody to throw to except for uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I believe he's probably the only receiver that anybody's going to recognize on the Packers tonight. Um, if there's ever a chance for, for your Atlanta Falcons to knock off a top team and kind of get some momentum back into this season, um, I think it's probably tonight. Like you said, they played this Green Bay Packers team really well. Um, they're desperate for a win. They want to save Dan Quinn's job. They need this one. I... I think the line on this game, um, as of right now, is Atlanta plus six and a half. And I mean, everybody might laugh at me tomorrow, but I think I might take that. Um, I kind of like you guys tonight. Yeah, I'm the same way. I've been saying it all week. This Falcons team, they're really not bad. Like, I I don't want to say they're bad because they've played well for a good amount of the season. But when they fall apart, that's when the wheels come off. And if they don't have that against the Packers, which, like you said, Justin, they haven't in past years, I call me stupid. I like the Falcons. Yeah, I think the problem with this Falcons team is that they're not bad. Like exactly, and, and, they're, and they're they're just good enough and so talented offensively that you're, you you can get tricked into continuing to gamble on them. Um, but the the, the storyline that they can't finish is it gets more real each week. And so and obviously we know if the sheriff has some time in the fourth quarter, nobody's safe. Um, yeah, I don't know if I I definitely don't feel good about this one, but um, I I wouldn't feel bad either. So here's what I'll say. Um, I, we all know that the Falcons should be two should be two and one right now. I I, I don't know what it is. I, I personally think it's a mental thing that just happens in the second half. But whatever, they're zero three. They're playing in Green Bay tonight. Like I've said the last couple weeks, the Falcons have been good against the Packers in the Ryan Rodgers era. That's encouraging. The Packers have no defense. The Falcons have less of a defense. But so it'll really be a matchup of who can outscore who. But if the Falcons win tonight, turn it around. They go to one and three. Justin reads the schedule is back. Panthers, Vikings, Lions, Panthers, Broncos. Next five games. Why can't you turn your season around and be five and four, six and three if you win tonight? Because if you win tonight, you go into Green Bay, beat maybe one of the best teams in football, and things are starting to look a little brighter in the Big A. As Kevin Millar once said, don't let us win tonight. Yes, indeed. Do not let us win tonight. Um, that other so again, watch tonight. It's going to be a lot of points scored, so I'm I'm excited about that one. I am cautiously optimistic. We got a doubleheader Monday night game tonight uh, due to coronavirus. New England and Kansas City will be playing at seven o'clock. I believe we've got Jim Nance and Tony Romo on a Monday night, which is going to be electric. But Cam Newton's not playing, so I expect this one to be a big blowout in Kansas City's favor. Yeah, I agree. The line is 10.5. I think it even goes more than that. You saw the way the Chiefs played against the Ravens last week. When they play a good opponent, they rise up to the occasion, and they play even better. And that's Patrick Mahomes' DNA. Without Cam Newton, I, I get the Patriots' defense is probably top five in the league, if not better right now, but I just don't want to do anything against Pat Mahomes. Yeah, I agree. And I think Belichick, um, as a as a dog, I think, uh, is like two and zero against this or two and zero against the spread or something yeah, like that. Yeah, because he's only been a dog two times in twenty <laughs> years. Yeah, it's actually unbelievable. But I mean, he hasn't faced anybody like this Kansas City team, especially with the way they're playing. Ten and a half points seems like a lot, but at the same time, 
I don't think anybody would be surprised if we woke up tomorrow morning and it was 45 to 10 yeah. or something like that. Um, it's hard to bet against Bill Belichick in New England, but especially without Cam Newton, it might be a struggle for them to put up points, which is something Kansas City does not struggle to do. I think if Cam's out there, it's a different story. But without Cam, I just don't – I don't know how much I trust Brian Hoyer. I'm not sure if he's the quarterback, but I'm pretty sure he's the one that's going to be starting tonight. Yeah. So I, I just think the Chiefs will – they'll win this game. I don't know what the margin will be, but they'll win. Let's transition from the field to the hard court. Um, the Miami Heat, they got one. That's all they needed. They needed one. Bam and Goron now can maybe come back. Jimmy Butler, with the performance of his career and the performance of the finals so far, maybe even all of the playoffs, I was enthralled watching that game. Now we have a real series. He's a leader. He's always been a leader. He might not have been the best player for the Heat just by talent-wise, but he's always been the heart of this team. And you saw that last night. He put up 40 points, triple-double, did not attempt a three, by the way, crazy side of the night. But the way he just attacked the rim, attracted contact, and then made his free throws, and pretty much willed this team to win. You know, they did not lose a single quarter of this game. One through four, they won each quarter, so they never allowed the Lakers to get back into it. And obviously we didn't have a show these past couple of days, so we couldn't talk about the Lakers' victories. But for this game three, the Heat came to play, and I'll tell you what, if they play like this and if they – Good team basketball. Jimmy Butler is the leader and, and performs this caliber every night. This Heat team is going to be good for years to come. Well, here's here's the and, and even the most surprising thing, and, and I just want to highlight Jimmy Butler again playing 45 minutes. So not just doing all of the scoring, the rebounding, um, assisting, and being the heart and hustle of this team, but also playing basically the entire game. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, just to take you to plus minus, Duncan Robinson's plus minus in this game was plus 27, and he was 3 of 10 from 3. Um, Tyler Hero is 2 of 7 from 3. He was positive plus minus. Jay Crowder was 2 of 8 from 3. He was plus 21. Um, and Anthony Davis was minus 26. All of the Lakers starters were, were in minus plus minus. Um, they're, like, this is what Miami's going to have to do to, to win the game. Like uh, Jimmy um, hammered last night that they were uh, really good on the glass and they won the rebounding battle. That's something they're going to have to do. Um, I really believe if Miami's going to win this series, Jimmy probably has to have three more games like he had tonight, um, and they're absolutely going to need Bam and uh, and Goran because you're not going to get minus 26 from Anthony Davis every night. Um, but yeah, it was a it was it was a really impressive performance last night. It was an alpha dog performance from Jimmy Butler um, to just stare LeBron in the face and just say, I'm going to be better than you tonight and just be better than him. I think it's the first time in LeBron's playoff career that somebody on the same court has had more points, more assists, and more rebounds, including any of his teammates. Um, So, I mean, to put Jimmy Butler's game in perspective, there you go. I I think we would be remiss if we didn't highlight the game that Kelly Olynyk had off the bench, who's had to step up in a role since uh, Bam is out. 31 minutes, 17 points, 7 rebounds, an assist, and 2 steals. You get that from the former Bulldog, you're pretty happy about that. I, uh, I, I, loved, I love this Heat team, uh, and if Bam and Goron can come back healthy, not even healthy, 75% in Game 4, this series becomes something that is no longer— I think people in Game 2, after the Lakers ran away with it, people were like, this series is a joke. Uh, they, this Heat team can't win without these two guys, so I'm excited of the possibility of us having a real NBA final series. But here's the thing, because in Game 3, pretty much with with obviously taking into account that Bam and Goran were not playing, everything else went perfect for the Heat. Jimmy Butler played as well as he pretty much could have. 
Um, they, they did miss some threes, but besides that, everything else went their way. Anthony Davis was in foul trouble the whole game. He never got his rhythm, so on and so forth. Game four now, you got to do that again, and now LeBron is pissed off. You see, you saw him walk off the floor. He says, you know what? We got a real competitor in Jimmy Butler. I got to come back better than ever in game four. And even though the Heat can play this well, probably again, I think the Lakers improve their game. And so now it's just going to be, I don't know. I, 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 I want the Heat to make it two to two but i just really don't see it happening keys yeah and then also i mean if you i mean the lakers turned the ball over 19 times and lebron james was responsible for eight of them anthony davis responsible for five um so i don't think you're gonna get 13 combined turnovers from the lakers two best players going forward um yeah every bounce went for the heat except for probably three-point shooting like you said uh they're gonna need a lot to go right for them in the next five three three games whatever it is um if they want to come out with a win who if they do play this well the next couple of games, the Heat being they. Who do you think's that number two next to Jimmy Butler if it's not Goran and if it's not Bam? It's got to be Tyler Hero. I was going to say Tyler Hero, yeah. so I'll let you talk I mean, about Tyler. Tyler. I mean, Tyler was mean mugging at the end of game uh, game three, <laughs> and, and that was pretty awesome. But, yeah, he's he's going to need to hit shots. I think it's going to have to be a combination of him and, and Duncan Robinson. They've been kind of trading games back and forth in these playoffs, but um, they're both going to kind of have to click from three-point range. Um, if they're going to want to continue to make noise in this series. All right, so I will ask you to do something that's hard. I want you to predict the rest of the series with the caveat that Bam and Goron are playing, are playing. Where does this series go? Do the Heat leg one? Can the Heat leg another one out? What happens? I think if you're a Miami fan, the thing that has to excite you the most about what you just witnessed in Game 3 was the fact that LeBron walked off the court 10 seconds early Yeah, and clearly didn't want to interact with Jimmy Butler. Um Butler's not afraid of him at all, and you could tell he was kind of trying to go mano y mano, and LeBron really wasn't having it. Um, so I think that is a is a bigger storyline to look at than um, as well as Jimmy played. I think kind of how LeBron responds to now this added adversity. I would never. It's going to be. It's hard to bet against LeBron, especially when he has the better team. Um, I but uh, I don't know. I think I think uh, yeah, LA in six. LA in six. six. If it goes seven, L.A. wins. I'll tell you that right now because LeBron's not losing a game seven. I'm going to go with L.A. in seven. I, I Like I said, if the Heat finish it in six, if they go up 3-2 and get, go on a hot streak, they might end it in game six. But I'm, I'm going with my gut. I don't think LeBron loses his finals. It's for Kobe, the Lakers in seven. So I said before the series started, I said Lakers in five. Um, I think it'll probably go six, but I'll stick with my original – original bet that it'll be Lakers in five. But don't be surprised to see it go six or seven. Let's move to postseason baseball. Uh, Doug, I will let you gather yourself. So we'll start <laughs> with the uh, with the AL side. Tampa Bay absolutely dominated the Blue Jays. We don't even need to talk about that. Their pitching is electric and their offense really steamed up. But what we do need to talk about is the Cleveland Indians have lost 19 postseason games in a row and the Yankees I think played the best two games they've played all season in the two game sweep of Cleveland. Yeah, uh, and something we want to do for these uh, the wild card series is kind of give our most surprising, least surprising, and biggest X factors. And my most surprising thing was that the Cleveland's pitching pretty much was not effective against the Yankees lineup. Shane Bieber got absolutely lit up. Um, he was not only in the conversation for this year's Cy Young, but also maybe even the MVP. Um, and he just looked like he was throwing batting practice to this Yankees lineup. Um, I really wanted Cleveland to win that series um, because I hate the Yankees so 
so so much. Um, but now I have to watch Tampa and the Yankees play in the wild card or in the divisional round. And I have to root for Tampa, which puts me in a conundrum. But yeah, um, I was very surprised that Cleveland pitching wasn't more effective. I am also very surprised at that same thing, including Brad Hand in Game 2 when he had his first blown save of the season. I believe he was 16 for 16 before that. And, of course, uh, in the postseason, he gets his first one. But these Yankees, I'll tell you, these guys are playing very, very well. They're hitting the ball. They scored 22 runs in two games. Um, They're scary, and I, I really liked the Rays before this postseason really started, but... If I had to pick a favorite right now for me, it would be the Yankees. We're going to do predictions for the uh, divisional series after we wrap up the whole thing, but I'm glad you like the Yankees because they scared the hell out of me watching those two games. The maybe, Well, I wouldn't say the most surprising because I think the most surprising thing happened at Wrigley, but maybe the second most surprising thing that happened in the wild card series was this Houston team, public enemy number one for everyone across the other 49 states, if you exclude Texas. Maybe even Texas, too. I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> it didn't feel close at all against this Twins team. Uh, oh, I totally messed up that stat. It's Minnesota that's lost yeah, I was 19 say, in Indians a row. Won in 2016. Yeah, yeah. My bad. It's Minnesota. Uh, hopefully, you get to this point in the podcast and didn't stop listening after we talked about the Yankees. But Houston sweeps in the wild card. They move on. They're playing the A's. You, you have to be scared of this lineup. Well, I think the first thing we can say about Houston is that they're just completely tone deaf to the moment and, and to um, how the rest of the world perceives them. Carlos Correa goes on his press conference and is basically like, we showed you guys we beat the Minnesota Twins in the wild card round. And he caught a whole bunch of shit on Twitter. Um, yeah, I think any in a, I think you have to be scared of this Houston team. They obviously have postseason acumen, um, whether or not you want to call that 27 World Series or World Series or not. They still made it. Um they have they have the experience. They have talent. Um, they have an everybody is against us type mentality. Which uh, if, whether it's valid or not, um, that's up for you to decide. But yeah, you have to be you have to be worried about this Houston team as much as you can say that it, it might just be on Minnesota's foils. Yeah, even with all the postseason struggles by Minnesota, obviously it might be in their head a little bit. But it's a new season. I don't want to put too much on that. I think it's more of the Astros saying. We played horrible in the regular season. We were 9-23 and in away games. Let's fix something. Let's go win some games in Minnesota, and that's what they did. You talked about Carlos Correa. He was 3-for-6 in this series with two walks, and then after it, obviously talking his shit. So just very impressive for this Astros team. I mean, I, I don't know. I, they, they surprised me as, probably as much as anyone, but I, I don't know where they go from here. Oh, you talk – Keys, you talked about the least surpri- or most surprising thing in this postseason. That, for this, that was me. This Minnesota, Minnesota Twins lineup scared me, uh, and the way the Astros played was surprising, shall we say that. Uh, I'm excited for the, for the Houston Athletics Divisional Series. I think it's going to be a great one, and yeah. I, I think we'll just transition right into that one. The A's 2-1 to one against the White Sox. Doug, the Southsiders, not great. You guys talked about your most surprising thing. Once once the White Sox went up 1-0 in the series, I thought it was a lock, at least in two games, maybe three. This is my most surprising thing post-game one. The White Sox, their pitching was always a little bit of an issue. Giolito really performed well in game one. Their offense didn't really lack. It was just their pitching that gave up a little bit too much. But with that being said, this was pretty much – trial run for the White Sox. It was a weird season. They're very young. They had to get some experience, and I think this 
postseason experience will be beneficial for them moving forward. I think trial run is an excellent term to use because by all accounts, this White Sox team was a year ahead. Yeah. Um, so for them to perform the way they did for, I think, the first 50 games uh, is very encouraging if you're a White Sox fan. Yeah, trial run is an excellent way to put it because if you if you go into next year, you now have another year of Yohan Mankata. You have year two of Luis Robert, Jose Abreu sticking around. You have Giolito. Michael Kopik comes back. Um, the team only gets better. They only get a little more pissed off, a little hungrier. So, yeah, trial run I feel like was a great way to describe it. As, as disappointing as it was, you have to be really, really excited about the future of the South Side. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. But switching it to the A's – Good for them. They they came ready to play Game 2 and Game 3. They deserve this series. There's no doubt about it. And without their best player in Chapman, I, you know, I bet against or I didn't bet against them, but I I had no faith in them. But the way that they came out and, and really took the series, their pitching was impressive when it needed to be. Their hitting came through, and, and now they play the Astros. This is a team that can go somewhere. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. The A's had kind of another been another team that had this playoff schneid in the last five years, and for them to advance past this and now play a divisional rival, I think that just—I mean, everyone's playing a divisional rival in the division series, which is awesome. Yeah, that's uh, true. But uh, I am happy for this A's team. I like I said, I've liked them all year, so I'm happy to see them advance. Yeah, and then one more thing about this A's team before we kind of move on is um, that bullpen is really, really good, mm-hmm. and Liam Hendricks yes, is, a, is a door slammer. Um, you see that guy in the ninth inning, and it kind of spells doom. So um, that's something to look forward to with this athletics team. Most surprising, least surprising for me, this Dodgers series was least surprising. The Brewers had no business being in the playoffs. 2-0 sweep was probably the most predictable thing that happened. Maybe another a surprising thing that happened is Kershaw pitched well in the playoffs. <laughs> um, so that the Dodgers will take that momentum moving forward against the San Diego Padres, who leg I keep using leg one out. They they played well against a veteran Cardinals team winning, uh, coming back from a 0-1 deficit. I don't want to pat ourselves on the back, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, as a podcast, I feel like we are kind of all over that series, and I'm going to pat myself on the back in particular as the only one who kind of took <laughs> San Diego. But yeah, um, I think it's that's a really, really encouraging sign for San Diego is, is you face a Cardinals team that's kind of known for doing things in the playoffs, and especially I think their record I think was something something crazy in, in – um, in elimination and win or go home games, like they're sixteen and two. Yes, that sounds right. Which is absurd, um, and just to have this your young Padres team uh, explode offensively in the final half of that game and series, and, and um, I don't know if you guys saw the videos on Twitter of the crowds outside of Petco Park. Yep. Um, and just greeting Tatis like he was a goddamn superstar, like a rock star. Um, things are happening in San Diego. Uh, it sucks that they ran to this buzzsaw of the Los Angeles Loomises because um, I don't think um, they're going to make it out of the next round, but we'll get there. But, yeah, that was um, they're, they're easily the most fun team in baseball. I would agree with that right now. Their, their offense has been the story all year, but in Game 3, in the elimination game, it was their pitching, and they are the ones that really came through. They did not have Lamette in this series. They did not have Clevenger in this series. So in Game 3, you had to go a different route, and you did a bullpen game where no pitcher pitched more than two innings. You had nine different pitchers come into that game, and they shut out the Cardinals for zero runs. So you talk all about this offense and how Machado and Tatis are some great players, and they have a lot of other young hitters. But what impressed me is they had the total package with the pitchers now. And so if I don't, I'm not saying that they have a chance against the Dodgers because, you know, we all talk about how the Dodgers are a step ahead of everyone. But the full circle of this team is really what impressed me. 
Well, what, I, what I'm looking forward to so much, and I keep mentioning this division, is like the NL West is playing the NL West in the divisional series. So this San Diego Padres team has seen this Dodgers team 10 times this year. So it gives them a chance. That being said, I'm still picking the Dodgers. <laughs> exactly. But it gives the Padres team a huge chance. They are younger and less experienced. But you guys mentioned already they're getting they should be getting back some uh, frontline pitchers for the next series. So that could help them out a lot against this Dodgers offense that is quite potent. Yeah, um, I think that's a perfect little segue into the talking about the division series. If we want to just jump right into Dodgers and, and Padres. Uh we gotta, we gotta, we gotta hit the Cubs first. Oh my God! I, you completely. I mean, we gotta get Doug his licks in. Wow. Doug, I, you just start and you can monologue. <laughs> Doug, I, I, I appreciate the uh, <laughs> attempt to skip over this awful postseason team, but no, th- this Cubs team. If you've been watching this postseason and this regular season for the better part of it, this offense was non-existent. They didn't come through in clutch times. They got most of their wins because of their pitching. And that's what happened in the postseason. You know, they lost 2-0 to the Marlins. I said they would sweep them because I had I was hopeful and I was wrong. But <laughs> but at the same time, it's not surprising because the past three years, since 2016, Baez, Bryant, and Rizzo have been horrible in the postseason. Offensively, horrible. I believe Baez himself is, like, barely batting over 100. Um, it's, it's just abysmal. And, like... The, like the season has gone, Hendricks pitched well in game one. Darvish pitched well in game two. They gave up some late runs. So be it. You should not lose a game because you only gave up three runs or five runs, whatever it is. You should be able to put up more than that. And, you know, it's been the case all season. And I'm ready for change in Chicago. Ooh, okay. Uh, I think Keys and I, I'll talk to the, I'll talk about the Cubs in a second, but I have to start with the Marlins. Sure. Um, they're starting pitching. Keys and I talked about this on last week's episode. We were intrigued by the youngness and the sexiness of their starting pitching and Alcantara and Sixto Sanchez completely delivered blanking the Cubs I don't think Al- yeah Alcantara didn't let up a run it was the bullpen that did and Sixto went five and th- uh, didn't give up a run this Cubs team was exactly who we thought they were their pitching didn't out pitch the Marlins and we knew their offense wasn't going to be able to out offense the Marlins so this this series if by the way the cards lined up, it went exactly as it should have. Yeah, I mean it's, it was a classic series of kind of you look at it in hindsight and the numbers kind of tell the story. Um, going into the series, you'd like to think that guys like Rizzo and Brian and Baez, um, who have in the past been lethal hitters, would continue to be those type of lethal hitters. But if you look at their numbers um, in the postseason over the last couple of years, I think you mentioned it, Doug. Um, they're the trio of them have just been terrible and then um, even this season none of them really hit well and so I don't know why we arrived to the postseason and just all of a sudden expected that to change Um, I think it says a little more about this Cubs team than this Marlins team but um, yeah I I think you should thank me Doug for trying to skip over this because it was a largely forgettable (laughs) series for the uh, the north side of Chicago well it was forgettable but at the same time it was necessary because this offense was not going to win another World Series and that's the end goal of it so as Hurtful as it is in the moment, I think it will be beneficial moving forward because there's going to be change now. And I don't know exactly who it is. I'm, I'm guessing Bryant does not come back. Maybe Contreras. Baez is still. But the thing is now with coronavirus, nobody wants to pay anyone this right. offseason. So now it's just going to be a big whole ordeal. Um, the only people I say keep, at least for the start of the season, and, and Rizzo staying for a while, I can't see him leaving. 
Darvish, I say you keep him. And if the Cubs don't perform come, I don't know, next July, next August, trade him at the deadline. Right. Because you, you just got to start over and compete for a World Series. And with this core, you're not going to be able to. I completely agree. Um, I, I, we got to move down south. Sure. The Braves did something they haven't done since 2001, win a playoff series, even though some people aren't calling it a playoff series technically, but I count it as a win. Um, obviously, I will start this one, but I want to start with Game 2 and then work backwards to Game 1 just because Game 2 was kind of the, the less stressful game. Ian Anderson, the rookie, I think in his sixth start of his career, was impeccable. Six innings, no runs, nine Ks, two walks. Completely fantastic. Outdueled Luis Castillo. This Braves offense got a run in the fifth, uh, which was would have been enough to win the game. But it was nice that Marcelo Zuna and Adam Duvall, who were over until that point, each hit two run homers in the uh, ninth inning. So the Braves comfortably win game two, uh, 5-0. The real talking point, we were so looking forward to that pitching matchup between Shane Bieber and Garrett Cole. We didn't get that. We got Max Freed versus Trevor Bauer. And holy crap, did it deliver. Trevor Bauer went seven and two thirds. I think he had 12 strikeouts. Uh, and Max Freed was right there with him, seven innings. Uh, and I think he had, I'm, I'm looking right now, this is such bad radio. He had five strikeouts. So. Trevor Bauer is going to get paid by somebody this offseason. No, if, if it's not the Braves, I don't want it to be the Red Sox. I want it to be the Angels because they deserve a chance. <laughs> they need someone. But what I want to say, and for everyone in Atlanta that is listening to this show, the millions of you that are listening, <laughs> Atlanta Braves, Hawks, Falcons, they don't win games like this. That game, 0-0 in the, in the 13th inning, is not a game the Atlanta Braves win a year ago. But not a game the Falcons win this year. So to get off that schneid for the Braves and to win that game is so incredible. And Keys, I know you're going to tell me I need to be positive, but I can't be. You've seen what I've dealt with. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think you tried. They, not, not to say that Atlanta didn't try very their damnedest to lose that game. I think um, Cincinnati loaded the bases three or two times in the last three innings and couldn't yeah. score and had runners in scoring position all three times. Um, but yeah, like you said, um, and like we talked about kind of last week, um, the Braves, if they want to make any noise and start kind of changing the narrative around their postseason success, they needed to win games like Game One, and they did. They needed to win a series like this, and they did. Um, yeah, this is not. Uh, there's no easy games coming up, especially with the pitching that the Marlins have, and hopefully that those two two run homers woke up your offense a little bit. But yeah, you. I mean, you got to build on it, but still a lot of work to do. For the Reds, this was my kind of least surprising team in a sense because I knew their pitching were studs. Bauer pitched better than I thought he would and that's saying something. Yep. Uh, then Castillo who struggled for the first half of the season came to play in the second half and the postseason. He pitched well. Um, but their offense has never been good. It's kind of been similar with the Cubs. It's It's been a pitching dominating team. Their offense is worse than the Cubs. Yeah, it, it is. It's yeah. 100%. Um, and so like we said last season or last uh, podcast the Braves needed to hit towards the end of the game, if not before. They didn't hit before, so the fact that they scored runs, especially in Game 2, late, 
was key for them, and that and that's what won them the series. Yeah, and really it was it, Ronald Acuna started game two, three for three, and that was kind of the spark for the Braves' offense that kept them going. So I, I'm incredible, and I'll talk about this later in my Why I Love Sports this week, but I'm incredibly optimistic about this team. Again, facing a divisional rival in the Marlins, who we've seen 10 times. Feel good about it. I, I'm just, I'm so happy this team has uh, has a real chance in my eyes. Um, just we're just going to do predictions because we got to move on to college football. So we'll start with the AL again. Rays, Yankees, Keys. We'll start with you. Who wins and how many games? All right. So my least surprising thing about the the wild card series was how well Tampa and how easily Tampa handled um, Toronto. I've been on this Tampa team for the entire year. I think they're very good. Um, I had Tampa to beat the Yankees in the AL East. I have Tampa going to the World Series. I don't see that changing. I just think their pitching is good enough. But I will say my biggest X factor for the division round is going to be the Yankees two through three or four, whoever they depend on using. If they can get some some decent starts out of Tanaka and uh, J.A. Happ, Montgomery, whoever, um, they'll be they'll be dangerous. All right, so how many games? Uh, f- Tampa and four. Tampa and four. Doug? I'm changing. I had Tampa at the start, but I like the way the Yankees are playing right now. I'll take Yankees and four. I'm taking Tampa and five. So other AL series, Houston, uh, Oakland. I am going to take Oakland in five again. I absolutely love this athletics team, even without Chapman. And uh, I think the starting pitching wakes up for Oakland this year. Uh, this series, Montas looked good in his relief in Game Three, so they'll hopefully he'll get a start in this series. So Oakland in five, Doug. I'll go Astros in five. Okay. Uh, I'm kind of fifty-fifty here, but I do think it goes five games. Um, both teams are good, not great. Yeah, and so I'll, I'll go uh, Astros in five. Yeah, I'm taking Oakland in five. I think their pitching's better. I think they're pissed off. I don't like Houston's going to run into somebody. They don't deserve to win this year. They won't. I, I like I like Oakland. All right, NL uh, Dodgers Padres. Keys, we'll start with you. Um, I think we're all going to be about on the same page with this one. But if the Dodgers win, or if the if the Padres win a game, how do they do it? I think the Padres have a chance in this series. I really do. Um, but I'm not going to pick against the Loomises. I like them in five. Cut. Dodgers in four. I was going to say Dodgers in four as well. I think the the Padres maybe get a good start out of somebody. I don't know who it's going to be. They have the starting pitching. It could get done. What Kershaw is going to show up? I don't know. But <laughs> I'm not betting against this Dodgers team this early, so Dodgers in four. All right, the Fish versus the Bravos. I'll start. I'm going Braves in four. This Braves team has dominated this Marlins team this year. Uh, I am scared about this pitching staff. Uh, for the Marlins, but the offense of the Braves is better than the pitching staff of the Marlins, and I think the Braves' pitching staff is better than the Marlins' office, offense if you can keep up with that. <laughs> so the matchups-wise, I think the Braves win in both those matchups, and the Braves have the best bullpen left in October. So Braves in four. I'm thinking if anyone else rivals their bullpen. I think they might have the best one. I know they do. They they allowed zero <laughs> runs in, in the um, wild card series. <laughs> I am not going to pick the bottom feeders. I should have picked <laughs> them in the first round, but I'm picking the Braves. I'll pick them in a sweep. Um, I, I like the way they're playing right now. The Marlins, you know, I hate doing this to them, but I still don't think they're all that great. Um, but Braves in three. Yeah, um, I think we could have a 20-minute conversation about the best bullpen left in the playoffs because I think we have a lot of good ones, but uh, I'm taking a brave sweep. Okay. All right, well, hopefully I don't think it'll work out exactly like this if some games go to five, but we'll be able to talk a lot of baseball next Monday. So really looking forward to that. College football, another great weekend. TCU wins at Texas. I I heard on, I think it was ESPN this morning, that 
Tom Herman, maybe maybe he is an offensive coordinator only. We talk a lot about this, you know, guys that are just coordinators and maybe shouldn't be head coaches. But Texas always finds a way to lose one. Gary Patterson's unbelievable. TCU, I think, is 7-2 and two against Texas in the last nine years. So we knew this game was going to be good. TCU goes into Austin and legs one out. I, I got to stop saying that. I think I said it four times this show. Um, yeah, biggest takeaway is Texas, not back. Yeah, right. Uh, Ames, Iowa. I was right. I called it. I've got stats for you guys later uh, in the segments because uh, what I said last week is proven on paper. But Oklahoma loses this weekend by a touchdown in Ames against Iowa State. Spencer Rattler and the Sooners are now unranked after losing two straight games against Kansas State and Iowa State. And they're in a lot of trouble. That defense is not good, but it's never been good. And their offense isn't doing enough for them to win games. Keys, I know we watched a lot of this game. So Oklahoma's broken. Yeah. That's I mean, if they're not gonna score or play defense, then they're not gonna win games clearly. And like we talked about it a little last week, like, oh, Oklahoma's doing their classic Oklahoma lose early and we're gonna figure it out. And uh this isn't your your uh this isn't your last year's or even the year before's Oklahoma team. Right. Uh and then finally, Pitt. Yeah, they lost a heartbreaker. Um, that was tough. Kenny Pickett was getting hit in the face all game. He had an incredible game, actually. Um, I think he was like the fifth highest rated passer in, in um, college football last last week. But, uh, yeah, heartbreaker for Pitt. We now move to your new favorite segment, 60 Seconds Down South. Every segment you you have, you just say it's everyone's favorite. <laughs> it is <laughs> everyone's I favorite. I picked up on that. <laughs> uh, quickly, Florida, impressive again. Kyle Trask is climbing up Heisman boards. Uh, De'Ara King didn't play last week, but he is probably the favorite right now because Justin Fields hasn't played a snap. Um, Alabama, very impressive against a ranked Texas A&M team. And some people are saying this Texas A&M team is probably ranked a little too highly. They lost. They won by five last week against Vanderbilt, who you could argue is one of the worst teams in uh, Power 5 football. So Texas A&M loses by 28, if I can do math correctly. And Alabama and Mac Jones look like they've got something going on. What I called the Fraud Bowl last week, it uh, one team was exposed, certainly. Auburn put up six points. Bo Nix in big games. Again, I'm going to do this in segments. I'm just teasing the hell out of you guys. But Auburn in big games has been not good in the Bo Nix era. Georgia, on the, other stand, on the other hand, JT Daniels not playing again, even though he was cleared. Uh, Stetson Bennett looked fantastic. Not fantastic. He was a great game manager. Georgia's running game is scary, and as scary as it's been in the last five years, in, in with names you've heard of. Um, so, Georgia, huge win in Athens. Arkansas wins in Mississippi State, a huge loss for, for the air raid offense, and Mike Leach really depressing after that, Sad. encouraging LSU win. And LSU kicks the shit out of Vanderbilt. Um, what I do want to talk about briefly before we move on to the UFC is Kentucky and the Ole Miss game. Uh, that Lane Kiffin offense is for real, and it's two games in, and I think we're already seeing the weapons that they have on offense. This game should have lasted longer. Kentucky missed an extra point in overtime, and uh, Ole Miss went down, scored easily, and kicked the extra point in one forty-two to forty-one. But that game should have gone should have gone further. But this Ole Miss offense is humming, so we'll see how that works. They still don't have a defense, so we'll see how that looks for them in the uh, in the future of this season. But it is encouraging Lane Kiffin's start on the offensive side. UFC teaser. Yeah, I mean, if there's ever a time to become a fan of this beautiful sport, now is the time. Um, over the past weekend, Holly Holm, um, who you may recognize uh, as having a win over Ronda Rousey, that was decades ago. 
um, not decades, but it was a long time ago. She picked up a win um, this past weekend. But, I mean, just to kind of quickly run through the slate coming up, this coming up weekend we have a bantamweight fight. It's uh, Marlon Marais and Cody Sanhagen. Um, it's going to be a contender fight. These two guys are both very talented, young and hungry. Um, that'll be a good one. Two weeks from now, we have the Korean Zombie versus Brian Ortega. There's a lot of heat on that fight. That's a featherweight bout. Again, another contender fight. And then three weeks from now, um, maybe the biggest lightweight title fight ever, Khabib Nurmagomedov, the champion, versus Justin Gagey, the interim champion. Um, a lot of people think that Gaethje doesn't really stand a chance, but there are experts in the sport who say that Gaethje's style presents some problems for, for Khabib. So um, anytime you get to see an undefeated champion step in the ring, and it's going to be fun, that's three weeks away. Yeah, I mean, you, you were just a great Dana White impression there. You're just hyping up all the fights, which is rightfully so, because each one has different elements that are going to attract viewers. Uh, quickly, Holly Holm, last week you talked about a little bit. She's, what, 38 years old, and she's still in the better shape than I am at 20, 21. Um, she's very fun to watch. But you kind of went all over them. Um, next week, we'll talk about Marias. I'm choosing Marias over Sanhagen, but I think that's going to be a great main card event. Uh, now we move on to segments, gentlemen. So, Keezer, I want to start with you. Good week, bad week. Uh, good week. I, honestly, I'm shocked this is going to come out of my mouth. Great week for the NFL COVID testing plan. I thought, I mean, and, and we didn't really talk about Tennessee, and I think at this point they have 18 positive tests for their game. But none today, which is encouraging. Yeah, but their game next week may be in jeopardy. Their game this week was postponed. But um, the fact that we're still playing um, the Pats and Chiefs game tonight, um, just a testament to how well the system worked. Um, Cam obviously wasn't or didn't expose anybody else. Um the game's still going on, so shout-out to the NFL for that one, honestly. I did not see that coming. Bad week, um, and every week to be a New York Jets fan. Um, not only is Sam Darnold hurt, but the team's uh, – actually, not only is the team terrible, but Sam Darnold's hurt, um, so there's not really any hope. Um, it seems like Gase isn't on the I – don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going on with this team. I hate them. I hate talking about <laughs> them. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, bad week to be a Jets fan. Don't. Yeah. Don't, can't argue with that. Good week for the AFC North. They went 3-0-1, if you don't count the Steelers, which, in fact, I would count that as a win because they weren't the ones with COVID. Um, but the Bengals, Ravens, and Browns all, pull, all pulled off impressive performances, and the AFC North, which I didn't think would be any good this year except for the Ravens, are looking like a legitimate division. Uh, bad week for Central America and not the land south of us, but the central divisions in baseball <laughs> went 0-5 in the wild card division. Of course, my two Chicago teams are part of that. The two Chicago teams, Cleveland, um, St. Louis, and the Brewers. Yes. All lost in the wild card division or wild card round. Um, so a bad week to be Central America. And I teased the hell out of this segment earlier, but good week, Lane Kiffin. Obviously, that offense is roaring in Oxford, so it's very excited if you're a fan of the hotty toddy machine. Also, Ames, Iowa. Great week for Ames, Iowa. And here's these stats I came with you. Last 10 years in Ames, 2011, uh, Iowa State knocks off number two Oklahoma State. Qu starting quarterback, Oklahoma State in 2011, either of you? I, I'll tell you, give you a hint. Was he was, he was old. Brandon Whedon, yes. In 2017, they beat number four TCU in Ames. They also knocked off number three Oklahoma that year in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, 2018, number six West Virginia loses in Ames. 2019, last year, number 19 Texas loses in Ames. And this year, number 18 Oklahoma loses in Ames. So 
There are ghosts in that <laughs> Oklahoma State Cyclones football field. And this team is a, every year is a, is a team I look forward to. Uh, you mean Iowa State? Spo- yeah, sorry. Iowa State is a team I look to uh, spoil somebody's season, and they did just that this year. Uh, bad week for me. Bo Nix also teased this. Big game Bo does not exist. Against ranked opponents, he is 1-3 in his career on the road. At neutral sites, he's 1-1. One one. He had that first career game against Oregon at uh, Jerry World and looked very impressive leading the Tigers to a, a comeback win. But yesterday, or two days ago against Georgia, he was 21 for 40 for 177 yards and one interception and no touchdowns. That does not win you games in the SEC. So Gus Malzahn and his offense, which I know a lot of Auburn fans are fed up with because they don't throw the ball downfield and they have the weapons for it, looked stagnant against Georgia. And not that Georgia's bad, but they looked stagnant. And six points in a game against one of your biggest rivals is just not going to get the job done. So, Doug, with that, <laughs> why do you love sports this week? We talked about it a little bit before, but I'm going to bring it up again. Jimmy Butler in Game 3. Showing what the Bulls could have had, what they did have for a little bit. Um, 40 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks. Only missed 2 free throws and was the heart of a champion. And he talks about, and what makes me love sports, you could talk about that stat line, but what makes me love sports is his homage to where he came from. And that includes Marquette, that includes the Bulls. Half includes the 76ers and obviously some other teams, but Jimmy Butler is the reason I love sports. Yeah, I, I mean, that it is a great story. I'm happy for Jimmy. I said that last week, too. I sound like a total do, uh, uh, loser for saying that. But he, he gave he, he always like he's a, he's a good Rowe, guy. And, Dang, right. And you and you look at his, ra- his interviews with Rachel Nichols. Right. And he's just so humble. All he wants to do is win. He loves his city. He just wants his teammates right. to be happy. Uh, how can you not root for a guy like that? And for me, why well, I love sports this week, obviously, the Braves. Losing or winning a playoff series for the first time since 2001, and for the first time in my entire life, I'm optimistic for a playoff series coming forward. So I look forward to what this week has. A lot of sweat, a lot of a lot of cardiac episodes for me coming up. Watch out but for I, the bottom feeders. I am excited. Keys, what about you? I'm mad at sports this week. <laughs> I, it, as somebody who hasn't been paying attention to a lot of baseball because the Red Sox were so bad, I've just been reminded of how fun it is to have a good baseball team. Um, watching the finals and seeing Miami compete against Los Angeles just makes me think how well the Celtics could have done. The Jets are terrible. I don't watch hockey. Um, Liverpool just got ran. I started sports gambling. It did not go well. It was just a not great week of sports for me. Um, obviously, anytime you can just sit there and watch sports for 12, however long we were doing it this past few weeks, it's been awesome. But, yeah, not a, not a fun week for me. All right. Well, I know I speak for myself, and I'm pretty sure I speak for the two of you. But as weird as this is being in two different rooms, I think it's really nice that we're back in studio. So I look forward to doing this every week now. Constant content from the Sideline Podcast. Uh, That's going to do it for us today. Be sure to tune in next time for another Sideline Report. I was walking down the street when out the corner of my eye I saw a pretty little thing approaching me She said I never seen a man